Hey there, this is Devin from Legal Eagle. You're smart. And I know that you're smart because you're listening to this podcast. But if you want even more incredible, educational-ish content from me and my friends, then you've got to get Nebula. Because in addition to offering tons of terrific podcasts ad-free, Nebula is a place where my friends and I get to release tons of experimental and exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Plus, all of my videos are ad-free. Just head to watchnebula.com slash radio to sign up now. One of the hallmarks of the American legal system is that anyone can file a lawsuit for any reason at any time. And of course, one of the major drawbacks to the American legal system is anyone can file any lawsuit at any time for any reason. Doesn't mean they're going to win, but they can still file the lawsuit. And over the years, many people have taken advantage of this principle to file a whole variety of frivolous lawsuits. Now, many of these cases are filed by self-represented parties, but you'll also find far too many lawyers willing to attach their names and reputations to these suits. Sydney Bell, Stephen Biss. Sorry. Must be getting over something. But baseless lawsuits not only waste the precious time of an already overloaded court system, they can also be financially ruinous to the parties having to defend these nonsensical claims. But these cases also have the unfortunate side effect of making us lawyer types look kind of bad. But today, let's take a mirror to our own profession and let's discuss five of the dumbest lawsuits ever filed. So, where do we begin? Well, when someone tries to sue another for a substantial sum of money, we refer to that as suing the pants off of someone. <laughs> but that can literally be the case. And in 2005, Roy L. Pearson Jr., a lawyer and newly appointed DC administrative law judge, took that phrase quite literally after Custom Cleaners, a DC dry cleaning establishment, briefly misplaced his pants. The store prominently displayed a sign that said satisfaction guaranteed, and Judge Pearson demanded satisfaction by suing the owners for $67 million. So here's the backstory of what has become the poster child for frivolous pants-related litigation. In 2005, Judge Pearson took a pair of expensive pants to custom cleaners. The business was owned by Jin and Su Chung, Korean immigrants who came to the United States in 1992. Now, Judge Pearson intended to wear these pants on his first week on the bench, but the business owners had inadvertently sent the pants to the wrong location. But Judge Pearson refused to accept them, claiming that they were not his pants, despite the owners providing confirmation through their business records, tags, and the judge's receipt. Now, Pearson demanded payment of $1,150. The owners did not respond to this demand. So Judge Pearson then filed suit, no pun intended, in the District of Columbia Superior Court for $67.3 million in damages, 67,000 times more than his original settlement demand. Judge Pearson contended that the Chungs had failed to honor the legal warranty established by these same day service and satisfaction guaranteed signs displayed at their store. Judge Pearson apparently had an incredibly expansive view of the idea of satisfaction guaranteed, which he claimed obligated the Chungs to undertake any and all actions without limitation based on the customer's determination of whatever would make the customer satisfied. Given this expensive and incredibly literal interpretation of satisfaction guaranteed, it sort of raises the question, who was Judge Pearson's legal mentor? Lionel Hutz? Mr. Hutz, do you know you're not wearing any pants? What? Ah! 
Well, Judge Pearson contended that the Chung's failure to provide him proper satisfaction constituted seven separate violations of Washington DC consumer protection laws. And using a complicated formula, Judge Pearson argued that the owners and their son, Ki Chung, uh, owed each uh, $18,000 per day that the judge was not satisfied and they had failed to provide him with same day service. As part of his damages, Pearson also claimed $90,000 to rent a car to drive to another dry cleaner and $3 million in emotional distress because you know, he really loved those pants. But Judge Pearson is not an unreasonable man. Before trial, Judge Pearson generously lowered this damage claims to $54 million. When this case went to trial, it actually went to trial in 2007, the DC Superior Court rejected all of Judge Pearson's claims. The court ruled that Judge Pearson had failed to prove that custom cleaners had misled consumers with a satisfaction guaranteed sign. In fact, the court found that Judge Pearson was unable to prove that the cleaners lost his pants in the first place. And further, the court held that Judge Pearson's expansive interpretation of satisfaction guaranteed had no support under the law. Shocker. Pearson appealed, but lost on appeal as well. And because this is America, although the Chung's prevailed, they were financially devastated by the litigation and they were only able to afford their attorney's fees after a generous outpouring of financial support through third-party fundraising. In September, 2007, citing a loss of revenue and emotional distress, the Chung's closed and sold their dry cleaning shop at the center of the dispute. And they decided to focus their energy on another dry cleaning shop that they owned. And as for Judge Pearson, well, he did not get to be judge much longer as he was not real appointed when his two-year term expired. Over a decade later, former Judge Pearson was brought before the DC Board of Professional Responsibility to address his bizarre behavior in the Pants lawsuit. And on June 4th, 2020, the board suspended Pearson from practicing law for 90 days. The board characterized Pearson's damage theories as utterly frivolous and excoriated him for his refusal to accept reasonable settlement offers. The board concluded that Pearson had violated the ethical rule prohibiting conduct, which quote, seriously interferes with the administration of justice. Which takes us to our next incredibly frivolous lawsuit. Because in today's image obsessed culture, people will try anything to fight the aging process. Trendy diets, experimental remedies, whatever it is that keeps Paul Rudd from getting any older. But in 2018, a 69 year old Dutchman was perhaps the first person to turn the fight against the aging process into a legal one by asking a judge to legally reduce his age by 20 years. This did not go well. But meet Emile Rottelbond, a motivational speaker and self-described positivity trainer from the Netherlands. In 2018, the then 69-year-old Rottelbond appeared before a Dutch court complaining that he had been the victim of age discrimination in employment and through unfair denial of Tinder dates. But instead of filing suit against specific people or entities that might have wronged him, Rottelbond took the novel approach to remedy his alleged injury by asking a Dutch court to legally change his birthday from March 11th, 1949 to March 11th, 1969 in order to make him 20 years younger. Describing himself as a quote, young God, Ronald Bond argued that his strict diet, exercise routine and mental discipline had, according to his doctors, given him the body of a 45 year old. The judge was first laughing and then I told him the serious matter yeah. and then he said, well, you have a point. Perhaps I want to be younger also. In a move that was sure not to offend anyone, Rottelbond likened his struggles to that of transgender people, saying, quote, we live in a time when you can change your name and change your gender, why can't I decide my own age? And in a generous offer, Rottelbond even stated that he was ready to give up his 1,500 euro per month pension in return for the Dutch government shaving 20 years off of his official age. Not surprisingly, the court ultimately ruled against Rottelbond, holding that there was no legal mechanism for allowing a person to change their date of 
birth. And in its ruling, the court warned that allowing Rodelbon to change his date of birth would create all kinds of legal problems by effectively erasing 20 years of events. Quote, Mr. Rodelbon is at liberty to feel 20 years younger than his real age and to act accordingly, but amending his date of birth would cause 20 years of records to banish from the register of births, deaths, and marriages, and registered partnerships. This would have a variety of undesirable legal and societal implications. The priority must be to ensure that the public registers contain accurate factual information. The court highlighted that specific dates and obligations attached to age, such as the right to vote, right to marry, drink alcohol, and drive a car. And that a ruling in favor of Rodelbond could open up the possibility of a person declaring oneself older and try to obtain those rights. Which pisses me off just because I didn't think about that, and I really would have liked to have done that. But if Rodelbond feels like he has been discriminated against, the ruling said that there were other laws that he could use to invoke and try to seek relief that way. Because at the end of the day, he only has himself to blame, which is also the case in our next frivolous lawsuit. Our next plaintiff took it one step further and just sued himself. Because many people who represent themselves pro se are filed by those currently serving time in prison. And many of those lawsuits try to address a variety of important issues like subpar prison conditions, or particularly in case of death row inmates, to seek a retrial of one's case. Other times, they're just plain weird. And such was the case of Robert Lee Brock, the man who sued himself for $5 million for violating his own civil rights. Here's the story. In 1995, Brock was serving a 23-year prison sentence at the Indian Creek Correctional Center in Chesapeake, Virginia, for breaking and entering and grand larceny. And like many people who make bad decisions that they regret forever, he was drunk at the time. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. And for that, Brock believed you may be entitled to compensation. Who? Me? Yes, you. You could get compensation. Wow, that sounds great. I think I'll do that. Because in a seven-page handwritten complaint, Brock argued that his Christian faith forbids him from drinking alcohol. And he argued that getting drunk caused him to commit crimes and violate his own religious civil rights. He pleaded with the court to grant him relief from himself. Quote, for violating my religious beliefs, I want to pay myself $5 million, but ask the state to pay it on my behalf since I can't work and am a ward of the state. Brock sought $3 million for his wife and children, quote, for their pain and suffering in college tuition, and $2 million to support him for the next 23 years in prison, but promised he would pay it back someday. The judge was not impressed and immediately dismissed the lawsuit as frivolous. In her order, the judge wrote, quote, plaintiff has presented an innovative approach to civil rights litigation. However, his claim and especially the relief sought are totally ludicrous. But Brock, who would later file lawsuits under the alias Two Souls Walker, would continue to be a thorn in the side of the federal court system, filing 29 appeals to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals in 1995 through 1996 alone, all of which were rejected. But Brock's barrage of baseless lawsuits included complaints about the price of coffee, improper placement of a mirror for the handicapped, and suing the prison for $1 million for mental cruelty when prison nurses said no to Brock's request for extra meat with dinner and vitamins in place of vegetables. Brock even sued the victim of the crime that originally sent him to jail. But in his final lawsuit, Brock alleged that he was, quote, either being poisoned or experimented on by the prison because the pancake syrup he was being served contained propylene glycol, a food additive that 
does also happen to be contained in some items like deodorant and antifreeze. But it was the syrup that broke the Campbell's back as the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals decided that it had finally had enough. The court ruled the case was frivolous, not only because of the propylene glycol is a common non-toxic extract, but also Brock made no allegation that the prison forced him to eat the allegedly poisonous syrup. Citing Brock's history of wasting money and precious court resources, the court banned him from filing any more lawsuits without a judge first certifying that his claim was not frivolous. Because the Constitution guarantees life and liberty, but it doesn't guarantee a good time. And that's what takes us to our next frivolous lawsuit. There's an old saying that you can't believe everything you see on TV. And that's actually a good rule to live by. And it's especially true when it comes to advertising. Because beer commercials often present a fantasy of beach parties, beautiful women, and occasionally skateboarding dogs. But most people understand this image to be just that, a fantasy. But that's most people, because for one Michigan man, he believed that Budweiser's advertisements in the late 80s were misleading their audience with an explicit promise of partying and fun times. And when there's a will, there's a lawsuit. So in 1991, Richard Overton, representing himself, sued Anheuser-Busch for $10,000, alleging their advertisements caused him emotional distress, mental injury, and financial loss. And in support of these allegations, Overton cited the company's Bud Light ads, which he claimed promised beer's ability to make, quote, fantasies come to life, fantasies involving tropical settings, and beautiful men and women engaged in unrestricted merriment. Bye, Spuds. Call me. Overton alleged Anheuser-Busch's ads violated Michigan's laws against deceptive advertising by presenting this fantasy as reality while downplaying the destructive effects of drinking alcohol. The Michigan Court of Appeals dismissed Overton's claims. The court held that Anheuser-Busch's ads portraying unrestricted merriment were merely, quote, grandiose suggestions constituting puffing, which is actually a legal term, and could not be the basis of an actionable fraud claim. The court further concluded that Anheuser-Busch could not be held liable for allegedly downplaying the dangers of alcohol by portraying the consumption of alcoholic beverages in a positive light. And according to the Michigan court, the dangers inherent in alcohol consumption are well known to the public. As a result, Anheuser-Busch had no affirmative duty to disclose in its advertisements risks that are already well known. And decades later, Overton still stands by his lawsuit. In a 2007 interview with the Kalamazoo Gazette, he rejected the characterization of his image as a sex-starved loser who drinks Bud Light hoping to find pretty girls. Overton himself doesn't actually drink alcohol and has three children and a wife uh, for three decades. And according to Overton, the spark for his lawsuit was seeing his young children captivated by Spuds McKenzie, the Budweiser dog. Crack open one of those BLs. I don't have thumbs. He said, quote, I looked at them and I thought, this isn't right. Here are my kids being drawn into part of a culture of alcohol because of this advertising. That's when I figured something needed to be done. And fair enough. I think a lot of people would probably agree with that sentiment. In a way, society has come to Overton because those kinds of ads regarding alcohol are no longer really seen on TV. But the solution to this issue wasn't going to be found in a deceptive advertising lawsuit. But unfortunately, some people have learned that if you don't like something on TV, even if you file a frivolous lawsuit, you can still cause pain to the other side. Because you can accuse former President Donald Trump of a lot of things, and in fact, I have actually outlined a lot of the things that you can credibly accuse Donald Trump of in a variety of videos, but there's one thing that you cannot credibly accuse former President Trump of, and that's 
having a sense of humor. Because in 2013, Donald Trump showcased his lack of humor by hiring high-priced lawyers to sue Bill Maher for $5 million over a joke. Back when Donald Trump was just a failed game show host, he made a name for himself by questioning the constitutional legitimacy of President Barack Obama, the first African-American elected to the presidency. And back in 2011, Trump demanded that Barack Obama release his long-form birth certificate to prove that he was born in the United States. After Obama released his birth certificate, Trump continued to fan the flames of racist conspiracy theories. And in the run-up to the 2012 election, Donald Trump said that he would donate $5 million to charity if Obama released all passport records and college transcripts. And enter Bill Maher, host of the eponymous HBO talk show. And in mocking Trump's demands that Obama prove his eligibility to be president, the comedy host demanded that Donald Trump provide his own proof of parentage, namely that he was not, quote, the love child of a human woman and an orangutan from the Brooklyn Zoo. And on January 7th, 2013, Bill Maher appeared on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, where he continued to demand that Donald Trump prove he was not sired by a great ape. <laughs> and he marched into court with his birth certificate and sued me because he's a whiny little and in turning the tables the very next day, Trump through his attorney sent Marr a copy of his birth certificate and demanded that Marr pay him $5 million to donate to charity. And yes, what I'm going to show you is a real letter sent and signed by a lawyer. I write on Donald Trump's behalf to accept your offer made during the Jay Leno show on January 7th, 2013, that Mr. Trump prove he is not the quote, spawn of his mother having sex with an orangutan. Attached here too is a copy of Mr. Trump's birth certificate demonstrating that he is the son of Fred Trump, not an orangutan. And I want to add that not only is this a real letter sent and signed by a lawyer, this demand was not from Trump's fixer, Michael Cohen. This was sent by Cooley LLP, one of the top international law firms in the world, best known for representing multinational corporations. The following week, the Cooley attorney sent a follow-up demand letter stating, quote, Mr. Trump has accepted your offer for 5 million, provided the necessary documentation and demanded payment. You have not honored your obligation. If you think that those letters are strange, wait till you see the complaint they actually filed in court. Because on February 4th, 2013, Donald Trump formally sued Bill Maher in California for breach of contract, demanding immediate direct payment of $5 million to Trump so that he might donate that to the charities of his choosing. The complaint reads like Donald Trump wrote it himself, or at least dictated most of it. And after quoting from Maher's interview with Jay Leno, Trump argued that Maher had made a sincere offer to pay Trump $5 million if Trump could prove that he was not the son of an orangutan. And the complaint alleges that a contract was formed when Trump performed by producing his birth certificate. Marr failed to pay the promised sums and thus Marr was in breach of contract for $5 million. Though apparently they thought better of it because eight weeks later, Donald Trump withdrew the lawsuit. We should not be having frivolous lawsuits like this. The legal system in this country is not a joke. It's not a toy for rich idiots to play with. It's, it's not a collection agency for billionaires. And while his fixer, Michael Cohen, claimed that Trump would soon be filing an amended complaint, such a complaint was never filed. Cohen never gave any reasons for the withdrawal or why a subsequent lawsuit was never filed. Though some legal scholars do point out that this lawsuit was complete and utter nonsense and Trump wouldn't actually be able to recover anything. Also, other scholars point out that California's anti-slap law, which punishes those who file frivolous lawsuits that seek to chill speech, would have entitled Bill Maher to recover all of his attorney's fees from Trump when Maher inevitably prevailed. And if there's one thing that we know about Donald Trump is that he 
hates paying for attorneys. Oh, and one last thing. I know right now you're probably fumbling with your phone trying to find the next podcast to listen to, but you can't because this is an ad. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can go to watchnebula.com slash radio. You can get access to all of our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping to support us make even more amazing content. So before you go, check out watchnebula.com slash radio to support this channel and this podcast directly.